the podcast was inspired by a poem in a movie called The Gray. And the poem goes something like this. Once more into the fray, into the last good fight I'll ever know. Live and die on this day, live and die on this day. Welcome back to In the Fray. My name is Edgar, and today I am back with the one and only Royce Goodman. How are you doing? Doing good. <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a while since we had a, a, you on the podcast. Uh, this is, you can think of it like this is the uh, follow-up to the last episode that we did. So uh, what's new in your direction, man? Like, any new competitions that you've gone to? Um, no, I don't think since the last time we've talked, I've uh, competed. I, uh, I'm kind of what's called in, like, you know, the sports world, a rebuilding phase. Okay. You know, um, got a lot of young horses or green horses that are coming up. Uh, you know, I think about it like in uh, college football terms, you know, my underclassmen are, you know, kind of coming up. So, All right, right um but I got stuff on the horizon that we're looking forward to. So, good. Um, uh, yep. All right, man. Well, um, and I forgot to say, for those of you guys don't know, uh, Royce is a horse trainer. He's uh, one of the best in our area. And uh, later on, we'll give you guys all the contact information uh, for any of you that's interested in learning more about horses and riding horses and the art of uh, horsemanship. Is that how you say it, right? Horsemanship? Yes, sir. Yep. Okay. I just wasn't sure if that was a, a particular term that you may use, like a horsey or, you know. Right, right. No, yeah, horsemanship. You know, that's kind of a broad spectrum, you know, the same as like saying martial arts. You know, okay. it covers everything. So, yeah. All right. No, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to be here. I'm going to uh, try to not say you know as much <laughs> as like last time and uh some other things so it might be a little different you know go back i do that with everything man i'm already doing it i'm rambling a little too much but i go back and try to critique everything that i do just so you can get better right you know that's what life is all about improvement that is so. true that's right man like i said don't worry about it dude just you know just be yourself that's all we can ask um, yes sir all right so you said you're in the in the uh, rebuilding stage, right? You're getting your, you're getting your next varsity team ready to go, so to speak. So how long would that process be? Ideally, uh, let's, you know, so every, uh, you know, it depends on where your starting point is, you know, just like, you know, with a person or whatnot, um, kind of where their base is. So to really get a horse, let's say, uh, ideally you get a horse that, um, uh, is, uh, two years old, it would take about two years worth of training, uh, constant, you know, constant, consistent training to get them to quote unquote, uh, show ready, you know, and there's, it's a spectrum. So there's, you know, some that'll, that'll progress faster and there's some that'll progress slower, right. Depending on whether they've had any type of handling or, you know, if they're just off a ranch or if people have been handling since they were foals, you know, there's a lot of stuff. Uh, they can make that happen and, you know, individual personalities. But uh, some of the stuff that I'm working with right now, I'm kind of working on truncated timetables. So my first show, well, not my first show, but my my big event show 
the ASHA uh, Futurity Derby uh, and the charities are April 22nd in Sweetwater, Texas. So I've got, what is that, all of these, about five months, five months to cover a whole lot of ground. And I've got some really talented stuff and I think we can get it done. But, but that's, that's, I mean, you know, that's a really, that's a real challenge is what I'm trying to say. That's not a whole lot of time, you know, condensing almost two years worth of training into five months. And it's not like they're completely green. They're just, uh, they just hadn't been in my program for that amount of time. So. So it, so you've got pretty much five months to get to know them as best as you can. Right. Right. So, and some of them have been here, uh, you know, they've been here for a few months. So, you know, we've been working on things and doing stuff, but you know, at this point I've got five months, uh, and some of them have had some training uh, with other trainers or with the owners themselves. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. And it's also not necessarily a good thing. It, it just kind of is what it is. You know, you, you, I'm sure you've worked with, you know, people, fighters that uh, have uh, worked with other people and there's some things you like, some things you don't like and natural skill set and whatnot. So you're just trying to make that whole thing gel mm -hmm. to where you think you have the optimal chance of success. So, yes. no, that's true. So, so uh, right now we're going to be experiencing into the or going into the winter season. Uh, would you consider this more like your like your off season to like you mentioned earlier to regroup and kind of get everything back in order? Or is this just because the way it fell, the chips fell? Um, it just happens to be like April is going to be your, your big date. Yeah, man, we don't really have an off season so to speak, if you have, you know, continuous uh, horses and training, especially young horses, you know, when you're done uh, with the futurities or the, you're, you're working on your next crop, you know, your two-year-olds that have already been in training or whatever you got. So for me, like those horses might have a bit of an off season, you know, a couple months, depending on what the owners want to do, but I really don't have an off season. And so much of it is uh, weather dependent because I, I don't have a covered arena. So, um, uh, it, it's not like you're doing nothing, you know, it's not like in professional sports where this is because the show calendar, uh, qualifying, and that's the thing, like a lot of horse trainers, they, um, uh, they, uh, they play in many different, uh, associations. And so their point standings like, uh, run January 1st to January 1st or whatever it is. They start, you know, some of them start like June 30th, it ends the ends the point calendar year and then July 1st starts it up again. So depending on what you're trying to achieve, uh, you really are just in a constant uh, struggle of like, all right, on to the next one, on to the next one, you know? Okay. So, yeah. So um, speaking more of training, uh, you, you've competed before, you know, like in martial arts, obviously. And, and uh, you know that as a competitor, there's certain essential items that you always carry with you to training and also essential items that you carry with you to competitions, right? So things like, you know, for, for my point of view, it's a sports safe, right? You never know when you're yes, going to need a little bit of sports safe. Uh, obviously, your clean uniform, uh, you know, yes, your sir. water, your sports bags to carry everything on there, your mouthpiece, your flip-flops, so that way you don't have to, you know, slip in and out of your shoes, try to go to the bathroom right. or something. So, what are some, uh, you know, uh, essential items, I would say, that you need in training uh, when you're dealing with the horses? 
Um, yeah, besides like the saddle, you know, uh, saddle blanket, your tack, baby powder might surprise people. <laughs> for, yeah, for multiple, yeah, for multiple reasons. Uh, things you just have on hand. Uh, one, it, you know, it, uh, you use it in the saddles quite a bit. Uh, to keep them from squeaking and the in the leather from rubbing, and then there's some other variations, but basically, uh, baby powder helps out a lot uh, on your person as well. Uh, just you know, use your imaginations where you know you might put it, uh, okay. just to help keep you from getting. I mean, we all get rubbed raw and blisters, you know, in your feet and on your butt and in your thighs and whatnot. But you know, it's just. Uh, I just thought you know that one kind of strikes me. It's like, and you also use it on your ropes to keep your your. Uh, you know, whether it's your calf rope or head rope or whatnot to keep them dry, moisture away and keep them sliding well. But random parts of leather uh, for fixing tack, also uh, baling wire or baling string, you know, just to patch something up together. But we have a lot of a lot of gear, you know, your boots, your spurs, shafts. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's and, you know, we've got tons of different types of oils for your leather taking Taking care of your gear is a huge deal in this industry because um, one, you want it to last. And two, if you take care of your gear, your gear takes care of you, your tack, you know, mm -hmm. uh, uh, keeping the leather good and clean and whatnot is, is pretty important because if you're on something, let's say you're on a 1100 pound animal, especially something that's kind of green and that stuff breaks, you're in a world of hurt. So, you know, you really want to maintain and, take care of all of your tack and gear so yeah oils um brushes curry combs you name it uh we there's a lot of stuff that goes into into the horse deal a lot of little things that most people don't think about so yeah yeah for sure like i said baby powder never in right. a million years would i ever win that million dollar question <laughs> right no exactly and, and a lot of people yeah probably you know wouldn't but no it's a it, it helps out a ton so those uh, tricks know. of the trade yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and there's all types of saddle soaps and creams and conditioners yeah. and whatnot, but, so, but, you know, you don't go ahead. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish. Well, I was going to say like, you know, uh, tricks of the trade and tips and whatnot. You really don't, there's no way you'd, I mean, maybe if you're just uber smart, but you find out a lot of this from hanging around the old timers, you know, the legends and whatnot that have been down those roads either they either they discovered it themselves or someone told them and that's why it's so important you know to get around people with age and wisdom and and uh that are uh no matter what you're doing just you find you you might figure that out in five ten years but if you can shrink that you know down to one year it, it's invaluable stuff whether it's training technique or you know little things you need to have so good Man, okay, so let's take a little side step here. Uh, you mentioned saddles. Uh, I'm not much of a, a horse uh, person, but I do know that there are different types of saddles. Yes, uh, sir. Is there a particular saddle that you use, or do you kind of rotate through different various saddles? Man, no, that's a great question. There are, I mean, there's saddle models, probably as many as there are like car models. You know, think about think about it like that. So, uh, so it's very, you know, discipline specific. So if you have, think about sports like baseball versus football, right? You know, so we have cutting saddles, cow horse saddles, bear trap saddles, uh, uh, ranch, ranch saddles, 
uh, wade saddles, bear trap saddles. There's then there's the English side, English saddles, Aussie saddles, and there's all these different variations. You know, just the same thing as like cars, all the way from your big rigs down, you know, to your whatever little Honda Civic kind of thing. You know, and all of those do serve a different purpose. Now, this it's interesting you ask this because um, you can get a lot accomplished with like you know a roping saddle. I didn't mention that one, but like there's different types of roping saddles for your calf roping versus your team roping, and there's all different types of saddle makers, right? So depending on like your body type, your style of riding, your style of competition, whether you know you rope, um, uh, you know team roping or calf roping, it'll put you in a different position. Now, for the most part, uh, and what I mean by a different position is like your your balance and where your feet are, where your hips are, the way you throw the rope, you know, so different ones are going to jive with you better. But for the most part, it's like uh, that doesn't really matter uh, a whole heck of a lot until you developed to a certain level that um, uh, that 1% edge might be might mean the difference between getting first place or 10th place or making the finals you know it's you, you know there's all different types of gi makers right and yeah. so it's like it's like that are you know also think about it like golf clubs maybe you know um tiger woods is gonna hit an amazing shot no matter with what type of club he has but he he wants the best performance that he can get right, right. so at his level he's going to get it measured and cut down and you know, use this kind of face and so on and so forth. So it's very same to that. Uh, the biggest thing is just get out there and do and work, um, put the time in. And then once you hit that level, then, you know, some saddles are super expensive because there's also a lot of decorative stuff, silvering, leather tooling, different types of seat and whatnot. So, and, uh, and what I'm getting at is like, you could spend $5,000 on a saddle easy. And there's saddles out there that are worth like 650, you know, and I've got both. So it just depends on what we're trying to achieve on what saddle I'll use. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I mean, from the little experience that I've had growing up, I've been around forces. Um, I know there was, uh, with my brother, one of my brothers, he's, uh, he trains horses as a hobby every once in a while, but you know, yeah. being around them, you, like you said, you know, the old timers that I was talking about and comparing different, uh, I guess training techniques and equipment, but one of the biggest um, subjects that it just pops in my mind all the time when I think about horse training is, um, or just riding horses, the saddle head, um, there's, they talk about like, there's the Mexican style saddle head and then- Oh, the horn, style. yeah. What's it called? The horn. The horn, okay. Where you, where you dally off the and rope. Yeah, yeah, no, no problem, man. So, so what's, obviously there's different types of saddles. So different types of horns also? Yes, sir. What, Correct. Which kind do you use? Well, okay, no, that's fantastic. So uh, for a cutting saddle, it's a very thin, uh, narrow, long horn. Okay. And you wouldn't rope out of that. And the reason uh, it's specifically for cutting, cutting, uh, probably give you a little background on that, is when you walk into a herd and then you're specifically looking for one cow to cut out of that herd so you can go doctor on them or whatever in the sport you don't do that you just take them out and you show how your horse can hold that cow away from the herd so uh and the reason it's very long and narrow is so you can grip it you can grab a hold of that horn with your free hand in it and you're supposed to do that because i mean you're 
you're on something that's super powerful, super quick, super whippy, you know, or, and you'll fall out uh, the moves that they're making. Now, you would not take that saddle and go try to do team roping off of it because of the way it's designed. The horn uh, on a team roping is shorter, a little stouter. And um, uh, it's taking what we call a jerk, you know, whether it's the head or the heel side, uh, where there's a lot of force on it and you want it uh, really set in the pommel, which is the part right underneath the horn. It's the arch that's in front of your legs. Uh, and uh, so with the team roping saddle, like I said, it's shorter, uh, you know, a little stouter and, uh, and uh, you dally off of that. So dally means where you take the, you rope the animal, and then you take the rope and you wrap it around the horn. You wouldn't want to do that on a cutting saddle because it would break. So those are kind of two extremes. And so like the Mexican style saddle or the charros and whatnot, uh, uh, Spain is where they originated from. They had a really big cap, a cap part uh, on top of the horn. And it was also pretty thick. Uh, so there's also different ways. I know we're getting super technical, but there's also different ways of roping. So like in the team roping, uh, you use uh, rubber around it, and it's what we call um, a hard jerk, or uh, um, it's very abrupt. As to where, like, if you look at the, you know, I'm sure you've been to, you know, chariotas and whatnot, and so different parts of the country in the United States still use that, and that's uh, kind of the American version is what they call a wade saddle, um, and it's not quite as big as, like, the charo saddle. The horn is bigger than a team roping saddle, but what I'm getting to is like those guys are what we call dally men and uh, they allow the animal to kind of uh, take rope away from them uh, as they rope it instead of like an abrupt stop. And so that rope is slipping, you're, you're working your left hand with the reins and the coils in your left hand and that line is feeding out kind of like deep sea fishing where you hear the zzzz, and yeah. so they're giving them slack until that animal slows down. As to where like in Texas and kind of uh, this area, a lot of guys are are tied off hard and fast, which means you're not wrapping it around the the uh, the rope is tied onto the horn. And as soon as you rope something, you pitch it slack and it hits hard. And some guys like in team roping, uh, you know, a, a, it's a hard jerk, but you still have the dally on. It's not tied on hard and fast. So a lot of that is determined on uh, your, your philosophies on handling stock and geographically where you are on why those styles were developed. Because you get into rocky country, big ravines, brushy country with a lot of thorns and whatnot, you don't want the opportunity of something to get away. Like uh, as to where in the Great Basin areas in Nevada, California, a lot of those areas, even northern, you know, Oregon, Montana, and whatnot, if something gets away, you'll just go catch it again as to where, you know, kind of something uh, down, you, you know, in a brushy country, you might not see them for another six months on some of these spreads. So when you catch it, you want to make sure you stay a hold of it, you know? So, yeah. so that's why like some of those have been modified, you know, back to your original point on like all of our stuff, uh, stems back to the traditional vaquero and that's what they had that they brought over from Spain and then it's been kind of altered through the decades and centuries and generations of trying to just be better at doing their job okay all right super long answer sorry man <laughs> no, no man dude that's awesome um okay I was just gonna say this because uh, I mean watching uh charreadas you know sometimes uh the lasso the 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 cattle that's taken off in front of them and I mean, I don't, I've never, I don't know really what's going on as far as the judging goes, but 
gotcha. a lot of yep. the guys, I would always hear them say, like, um, for the show, for the spectacle, the more smoke that you can create right. on, the, on the horn, the better. Um, but uh, they always, I know that they're always talking about, like, watching your fingers because. For know, sure. Like, the best roper is always missing uh, at least three fingers, you know, yep. and, uh, because they get cut on there and get snapped off. It's just going to happen. You do it enough times, you know, that old adage of, you know, you know, striking matches, you're going to get burnt, you know, playing with fire. And it's like, I'm not missing one, but you know, my, I I took the skin off of my right thumb. It gets caught in the dally or even on your left hand, your coils, you know, like I got a little scar on, you know, my left pinky because I wasn't paying attention, you know, or, or, you know, sometimes like on that one, the steer just took a, a big hop away from me and, and I didn't think that was going to happen. And I was like, you know, just getting a little too relaxed and, yeah. you know, and, you so, know, there's a lot going on. So. so in those horns, have you ever seen any of them like completely being like cut off from just the friction of the rope? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, that happens. And also what normally happens though, like sometimes the pommel, the part I was talking about. Yeah. So the saddle has the frame. If you think of it like the car frame is what we call the tree because uh, uh, originally they were carved, you know, basically from a tree, a big block of wood, and a lot of them still are, but there's other things. We won't go into that. But uh, where, you know, because those are pressure points, you know, you think of engineering and whatnot, where the friction is, whether they're old or worn out or the angle's just right, or it wasn't that great quality of wood and leather, uh, where that whole front of that saddle will pop off. And also what will happen a lot too is the sensual break, uh, the bottom, the part, that uh, the latigos, uh, the leather on the rigging is tied underneath the horse, the belly, kind of like where your belt goes, um, the front central brake, you know, for whatever reason, or the leather's rotted out. That's what I was talking about. Usually if you take care of your gear, your gear will take care of you. You want to keep that tack in immaculate shape because that's a freaking wreck that usually doesn't end well. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, another, another side question here. Boots, cowboy boots. Yes, sir. Hey, different types of cowboy boots, obviously. Anybody that's ever even yep. thought about, you know, a cowboy lifestyle always thinks about boots. Boots and hats. So what's what's the reason? Do you know the reason why the boots, you wear those boots, just slip on boots like that? Uh, is that, because, yeah. you know, for safety reasons or that's just more sure. like, the style and you just worn it for years and years just because that's what the cowboy look is or all of this no that's fantastic question all of our stuff originates from form functionality right so um and of course you know uh over the years and especially in modern times it's uh been mutated into kind of fashion stuff as well i mean you know cowboys were fashionable you know back in the 1800s they wanted to look nice you know um you know i'm painting broad broad brush strokes here but okay so all right let's start at the beginning so like i said uh there's big safety stuff with boots first and foremost because most of your hang-ups happen within your feet with inside the stirrup which is you know the basically kind of the u-shaped bottom part of the saddle that your foot slips into right and uh, we'll get into stirrup stuff later on. But you uh, you don't, uh, the reason for most slip-on boots is, and you, and like if you watch, you know, the NFR is going on right now. If you watch saddle bronc riders, 
a lot of those boots too are also like two sizes too big because if you get hung up you want your foot to be able to slip out of that boot right and there's a technique for when you get hung up as well hung up being your foot caught in the stirrup is that you want to turn over away from the horse flat on your belly because that allows the least amount of friction for your foot to slide out of the boot so there's different types of toes you know square toes super pointy toes round toes and a lot of those are kind of more fashionable choices than anything else but the square toe was designed you know to give like big uh uh, just more room from your toes instead of being pinched all the time because you know you're riding all day and uh, and it starts to hurt. Uh, so it gives you, uh, you know, and also it gives you more surface area with inside the stirrup for you to have some purchase to to be able to hold on. So that's the reason for slip on boots. Also with this uh, kind of like the baby powder thing, but the tops of the boots that have all the designs on them, all, what's the stitching where it's actual thread, you know, there's a lot of designs on that originated from it's wanting to hold the leather up instead of the leather being pulled down by gravity or force to keep that boot nice and uh, stable where it stays in the shape so you can slip your foot on and out because if you didn't have all that pattern stitching. Uh, that leather would eventually just kind of crumple and fold down like your jeans and whatnot. Okay. So, uh, and so, and of course, you know, it's like, hey, if we're going to do stitching, let's at least make it look nice, you know? So there's all different types of patterns of stitching that you can have that is form function purposeful, but also, you know, look, look pretty baller at the same time. Right. So, and then, uh, oh, sorry. No, go ahead, finish, finish. Well, also, there's also different types of soles and heels that you have, there's roping heel, riding heel, spur shelf on your heel, rawhide. And um, and so the heel of your boot, there's different, you know, heights of the heel. Like, you, you know, you can have a one inch heel, you can have a two inch heel, you can have a two and three eighths heel. And the purpose, and then, then there's an underslung heel uh, where the bottom of it kind of goes forward. And the purpose of that is to be able to hook into your stirrup to give you more stability. And then there's a small little shelf around the back of the heel for, and it's called the spur shelf for your spur to lay nice and flat on. So your spur doesn't slip underneath your boot while you're riding. Okay. Um, and so there's a ton of variations there. Uh, also uh, leather soles are a must because you don't want to have something, once again, the biggest fear is getting stuck in the stirrup. So you don't want to have like um, rubber soles or plastic soles. I have ridden in some like hard, you know, they, they did some designs that were kind of like a hard plastic and, and it's okay. But, uh, the best thing is just a slick bottom, uh, uh, leather sole to slip out. And there's some different designs that you kind of play with, but yeah, that's, that's a basic overview of boots. No, well, there's also like lace up boots too, that the Packer they're called Packers. And uh, that's kind of more of the Northern country, but um, uh, we won't get into that. Uh, the only thing I will say about that, if you do lace those up, you use leather laces. So if you get stuck again, the leather will break and you can get free. So. Okay. Again, it just goes back, like you said, uh, for functionality and safety. Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. Okay. And okay, let's talk about ropes. I mean, not, not all ropes are made the same, right? Correct. So... Is there a difference between, let's say, a uh, team roping rope versus a cattle? Do you, do you use ropes during cattle cutting? Uh, not, not during the event of cutting in the show ring. You don't use a rope. Right. Um, so but, what, what's the difference? Yeah, no, I mean, just like, like I said, on boots and whatnot. So 
you have uh, ropes can be all different lengths, you know, 80 foot rope down to a 30 foot rope, or you can cut it to whatever you want. And it's also kind of depending on what job you're doing. So like I was saying earlier, uh, with the guys, you know, let's take it back to the traditional stuff. You usually use like about a 60 to an 80 foot rope. And these were the dally men and that's so you had enough line to feed it, you know, and, and also what you can do, you can, uh, uh, there's different ways of doctoring and tying up cattle to trip them to take them down to the ground. Uh, once again, uh, another parallel got to get down to the ground, you know, <laughs> just like in jujitsu. Uh, so you can uh, control the situation, right? Um, uh, so yeah, you have a 60 or an 80 foot rope, uh, and ropes can be made out of different things. They can be made out of uh, grass. They can be made out of rawhide. Uh, now in the modern era, we have a uh, poly or nylon, you know, and so your traditional stuff was, was called a riata and, uh, it was traditionally made out of rawhide. Rawhide is the hide of usually a cow, uh, uh, an animal that had the hair scraped off and then was cured in a very specific way. And we won't get into like leather tanning and all that. Um, uh, but it's different than leather. Uh, it's in the curing process. And, and so those were working. Those were for the purpose of back in the day, uh, working on the ranch and uh, having usually to doctor cattle or, you know, take control of cattle for one reason or another. Right. Um, uh, now, like in the sport uh, of, uh, like the PRCA, there's team roping ropes, like there's a heading rope, there's a healing rope, the tie down rope, and all of those kind of have their different variations as well on the stiffness, the length of them. So if you were to take a, a, a heading rope, it's going to be a little bit different length than your uh, healing rope. And it's also mainly the stiffness, uh, the rigidity of the rope on your your heading ropes usually are kind of uh, the classification of a soft, extra soft, or uh, a medium. And then your heading ropes are usually like, or, I mean, your healing ropes are usually like a medium to a hard stiffness because when you come around there and you want to pick up those heels and lay that trap for the heels to jump through, the heels of the steer to jump through, you want that rope to actually stand up to have that gap because if it just crumples when you deliver it and it hits the ground, then you're going to miss your heel shot. And then your calf roping, uh, your tie down ropes, your calf roping ropes are usually soft and they have a, a, a give to them. So, uh, yeah. All right. Okay, man. I, it's so interesting to me, uh, you know, trying to find, Good, I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. trying to find all these little neat, uh, I mean, for me, it's neat as information just because I've just, I've always personally, I've always grew, grew up around it. I've, I've never been interested enough to find out more. Just yes, sir. interested enough to know that I think it's cool. <laughs> no, I hear you. And it's hard, man. It's hard to find out because, you know, uh, that's what I was talking about, like getting around, you know, old timers or people with the knowledge and whatnot. If it, the barrier to entry in this thing is probably in horsemanship is super hard because they're a luxury item now, you know, uh, for the most part, not completely. But um, and also there's urban sprawling and the generations past the traditions and the knowledge have been lost from, you know, uh, you know, as basically America has become more urban, right, you know, moved away from the farms and the ranches and whatnot and into the cities and, and that's fine progress needs to happen. But you're absolutely right. Uh, there's a lot of little details and nuances and, you know, it's kind of the same thing, it, you know, if you think about it in martial arts terms. Uh, uh, that you're you're moving 
as as time marches on, you're moving away from the old traditions, you know, and it's very hard to kind of find some of that stuff. Yeah, because you can't really Google search it or YouTube it. There's guys that do have videos, but you can't find out all the little intricacies of it, you know. Yeah, that's true. So, it's kind of like we talked about in the, in the previous where also a lot of the old timers don't want to give up their secrets. Yes. Yep. Yeah, you know, because that's how they made their living. And if they just disseminated the knowledge, then they wouldn't be as valuable. But right. thank goodness that's really changed, you know, with podcasts. Uh, there's a lot of good horsemanship podcasts out there in one facet or another. And and people are starting to realize that this really uh, only benefits the industry as a whole. So, the, and there's, uh, you know, the new generation ish uh kind of right before me in my generation of like hey man we got to keep this stuff alive or you know it's just going to go by the wayside so no i i agree man i agree it's, it's probably one of the reasons why uh i enjoy talking with you so much even not just on the podcast but you know when we ever we see each other face to face yes sir we're always asking each other questions about each other's uh crafts and uh, yes sir you know i i feel like just like you i I love to give out as much information as possible. Uh, try to make people be aware of what's happening, you know, in my chosen craft. And I, I can attest the same with you. you. You're very open about giving information about what you do and how you do it. And, um, you know, even for somebody like myself who doesn't have any interest, so to speak, or, or the time to even get into that profession, but is curious right. to find out about that information. That's, uh, no, I mean, you know, like, uh, just to expand on that, uh, you know, uh, I've heard it on another, I think it was Rogan, you know, he says it all the time. It's like, uh, I think it was, uh, what's his name? Uh, I can't remember exactly, but when you understand the way broadly, you understand in all things, you know, it's that yeah. premise of like just intrigue and fascination, you know, and you only got one life. So why not explore as much as you can is kind of my thing. I, I agree, man. I agree. I'm, I mean, I'm with you. I'm always trying to look up different trivia facts and information about right. things that, you know, find that that I'm curious about or I have no idea what what that's about, but I want to know a little bit more. That way I can, at the very least, try to uh, understand if I hear anybody talking about it. Yes, sir. No, knowledge is power in Absolutely. all instances. So hey, it, it doesn't do anybody good to go around willfully ignorant. So. Yes. So another question for you is, uh, is there, uh, obviously, just like all the equipment, there's all kinds of different horse breeds. Is there a particular horse breed that you have not gotten the opportunity to work with that you would like to work with? Ooh, yeah. You know, uh, actually, I don't think I've ever had the opportunity to work with an Andalusian uh, from, from Spain, originally, where they're from. Uh, some people might take this as an insult, but they're because they're an older breed, but I consider them like the quarter horse of Europe. You know, they're, they're an all around stock breed. I love their confirmation. Um, uh, they've got beautiful manes and tails just, you know, naturally, and they look very athletic. And there's Andalusians, Lusitanos, uh, that I think I would, uh, um, uh, you know, they, they seem to have pretty sound minds and uh, be very smart. But yeah, that would probably trying to think because there's I mean there's so many breeds and trust me uh, there's some that I have worked with that I don't ever want to work with again there's some that 
that are great, but also just don't suit my, per what's that? <laughs> what's one of them that you don't ever want to work with? Oh, dude, you're going to get me in trouble here. Uh, for the most part, um, <laughs> no, it, it's fine. Just kind of uh, your, uh, just because of what I do, they, they normally don't suit the purpose, but it's kind of like um, uh, thoroughbred-y um, okay. uh, type or uh, even kind of Arabs. Don't get me wrong. There's some out there. Uh, I'm going to cover my butt here that are fantastic. They're great horses, but just in general, you know, I, I really just enjoy uh, the, the quarter horse, the paint horse, and uh, because of what I do, you know, so it would be like, you know, it would be like trying to make like an offensive lineman into a tennis player. Can it be done? I'm sure it can, but you're just like, you're so far behind the eight ball on that. You know what I mean? So that's what I'm getting well, at. They're not, again, they're not bred so much for that particular job. So right. it's hard, it's hard to uh, assimilate them into this new role that, their yep. DNA says otherwise. Exactly. Exactly. So. Okay. Um, so one one uh, horse breed that's always has captured uh, my imagination, and I'm sure a lot of people's imagination as well, and it's portrayed through American pop culture, and the Mustang. Mm-hmm. What uh, have you ever had an opportunity to work with the, the breed? Oh yeah. So the, the little history on the Mustang. Go ahead. Uh, oh, sorry. Was there more? Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. The, the history on a Mustang is technically just a feral horse okay. uh, that got away back, you know, from the settlers in the 14 and 1500s, right? And then it kind of morphed into what we call the American Mustang. Now, there's some lines, some uh, sub-breeding uh, associations that are called the Spanish American Mustang. I think uh, might have to fact check me on this, but um, uh, but but it's basically uh, so they're for lack of a better term, not trying to offend anybody, is that they're basically a mutt. They could be, you know, they could have uh, uh, thoroughbred DNA, uh, draft DNA, um, quarter horse DNA, you know. But they're just kind of right now. A lot of them are on BLM land or you know, just big ranches and whatnot. So it's really hard to define what a Mustang is. Now the ones that are on BLM land, they will have the freeze brand on their neck when they do uh, uh, the Mustang roundup and whatnot. And all this is a very touchy subject in the horse industry. Okay. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of a, uh, a history on them. It, so uh, when you talk about a Mustang, I have worked with them. Uh, I had one that was a fantastic horse. I mean, uh, and he had the freeze brand. I didn't break him, but I got to ride him. And, uh, and I mean, he, he was freaking stellar. And I've known other people that use them like for nay track and endurance. And they're a hardy breed, uh, of horse. And, uh, they're, you, you know, they're, uh, usually not as athletic for the most part as like your quarter horses in your paints right now, because they're, they're selected through natural selection being out on the range versus like our domestic breeds that are, we're looking for these very specific traits. Right. So, you, I, I mean, just from all the reading that I've done on, on the subject and you said it's, it is fascinating how, how touchy that topic is for a lot of people. Yes, sir. But, you know, just from my conclusion, um, you can almost say that the Mustang is the, uh, is the version is the horse version of what we would consider the cowboy? And, you know, you said they're sturdy, 
party. They're man, they can go out in the middle of nowhere and and make yep. a living and <laughs> handle their business and come back and you know they take their bumps and their bruises and just keep yep. going and uh, they no. get the job done. You know, I would say that the Mustang is uh, like it's the symbol of the uh, cowboy nation. Man, I would I would not disagree with that at all. You know, like we've talked a lot about the old ways and going back to tradition and whatnot. You know, I mean, there wouldn't be, you, you know, a, a lot of the heritage of the West without the Mustang, you know, and a lot of the grit and, uh, um, uh, you know, toughness uh, that the cowboy image has without the Mustang. I would agree with that 110%, you know, and a lot of that is uh, because you have to say, uh, horses are not native to North America. You know, settlers brought them over. Now, if you go back to, I forget, I, I want to, oh, I'm so wrong on this, but I want to say it was like the Pleistocene era. There were horses here, but they were, you know, it's like when you do kind of the animal branch and whatnot, but that was so many thousands of years ago, you know, that uh, uh, it's really not the same animal. But yeah, so you wouldn't have the American cowboy without the Mustang. I, I agree with that. And you want to, talk about something that is unbridled wild and free and just you know an icon you know uh, of something uh that that symbolizes uh what it means to survive on your own i would agree that the mustang represents a lot of that okay so um kind of switch it up a little bit what's your favorite horse movie oh that's a good question and why is it black beauty <laughs> right <laughs> no black dude you can't uh any uh, i challenge any guy that says that they don't like black beauty at one point or another either your ego's getting in the way and you think you're unmanly you know and i'm gonna call the bullshit flag on that no <laughs> that's a good yeah that's a good one man uh so do you mean just a movie about horses or any movie that has horses in it let's start with the first one a movie the theme is the horse. Okay. Probably it's got, man, it's got to be a toss up between the man from Snowy River and uh, the horse whisperer. Okay. Uh, uh, the man from Snowy River takes place in Australia. Okay. And uh, there's a second one. And the sequel's pretty dang good too. Uh, and if you haven't seen it, go check it out. I think it was late 80s, early 90s. But there's a lot of good horsemanship. Uh, in that, you know, I mean, of course, I don't know if it was Hollywood, but we'll just say Hollywood for the film industry. You know, they always get their sprinkle of whatever in there. You know what I mean? You just got to take that. But it's really, really good. And then um, uh, the Horse Whisperer uh, was uh, with uh, Robert Redford. You know, it was a book first. And uh, and it really, uh, man, that was like late 90s, early 2000s. It came out. And uh, Scarlett Johansson was in it, and she was real young. Uh, but it was basically about, like, uh, uh, if anybody hasn't seen it, uh, give a little synopsis. Uh, uh, the, these people from the East Coast, uh, the girl, Scarlett Johansson, the character she was playing, uh, was in a uh, really into, like, English writing. I think she was a jumper. I'm not 100% sure. But she got in this horrible wreck, and her, her mother uh, tracked down this cowboy um, from Montana and it's I think it's loosely based on like Ray Hunt and Tom Dorrance old legends that kind of brought uh, this uh, all-natural horsemanship into vogue you know put it at the forefront and it works it's good stuff uh, 
and it's kind of about how they're healing this horse uh, and the rider. Um, uh, and, it, and it's more of like your emotional intelligence and uh, connection and how uh, it's a very good story. And there's a lot of good horse. I think Buck Brenneman uh, um, uh, was like the uh, advisor on it. And there's a couple scenes where he's in there, but the, basically these people from the East Coast go out to Montana and try to help this horse out through this traumatic experience that uh, uh, the horse and Scarlett Johansson, uh, excuse me, uh, had. So, okay. So, um, have you ever seen the movie Hidalgo? Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would, I would ah. say that it's probably my, my favorite movie. Yeah. Of, of horses related. No, it's a great movie. Yeah. I can walk into any room and if that movie's playing, I forget what I'm doing in that room. And next thing I know, the movie credits start playing. <laughs> right, right. The the sad thing, you know, this is kind of, you, you know, you have it in, uh, I'm trying to remember the guy's name that it was based on. Because uh, one of my buddies uh, was uh, very big into endurance riding. And what I'm trying to get at is that the guy that that, that movie's based on, he, he was a good endurance rider, but he also had a habit of telling tall tales. Right. So the movie in and of itself is great, fantastic, but I don't, I don't think that actually existed. You know, the the whole Syrian journey. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, no, that's a great movie. Yeah, I well, like, like watching like it. Said, I mean, so. you know, it's a Hollywood movie, so they're gonna right. take their liberties. Obviously, with everything that's Hollywood, take it with a grain of salt. You know? Right. But I, I, what I like about that movie is that. Uh, it really brought back my curiosity to the cowboy, uh, yep. to the cowboy uh, lifestyle. Um, I know that's one thing, you know, for me, uh, you know, being born in a little rancho in, in the mountains, you know, in, in Mexico and always being around horses and animals as a little kid. And, you know, I remember uh, going with my brother as like a four and a five year old kid when I was old enough to be able to balance myself on the back of a horse, I would, yes, sir. I would, I would go with him to the local pond to go bathe the horses. And right. we were like, uh, it, you know, like holding on to the back of the, uh, of the mane. So as the horse was going into the pond so that we could both right. kind of like take a dip. Heck uh, yeah. You know, and no. <laughs> holding on for dear life because I didn't know how to swim. So, you know, I just remember that, like watching that movie, that Hidalgo movie for the first time. It was just like, man, it just brought back all these memories that I had forgotten for sure. about. And my curiosity on just cowboys and horse training and animal training in general just came back to the forefront. And uh, I mean, I'm in a point now where like, Obviously, I'm never going to be able to be to do that. But like I said earlier, man, I love watching it. I love talking to people about it. You know, I love to yes, uh, live vicariously through their stories. <laughs> no, exactly. No, I hear you. It is kind of like, you know, I think we're kind of two opposites, you know, in that like I do the same thing, like, you know, with uh, I'm sure you've seen it, the movie uh, Red Belt, you know, and yeah. it's like or, yeah. you know, certain I've always, I've always thought like, all right, man, if I wasn't, you know, doing the, the cowboy thing so hard, I would have tried, you know, fighting MMA or something, yeah. you know, I mean, but you know, a lot of guys, you know, a lot of guys, you know, 
you know what I'm getting at, say, good, say stuff like that. But it's like, no, I'm too deep into this. I'm 35. There's no way I'm stepping into, you know, quote unquote, the octagon or whatever now. Yeah. And it just ain't going to happen. So, yeah, no, it's <laughs> but no, I, my whole point is like, I get where you're coming from. So. Yeah. You know, I was going to say, like, my, my, uh, uh, you know, when you're in school and people, that teacher would ask you, what did you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. My number one answer was always a bull rider. Gotcha, right? Yep. Yeah. Like, I yep. always wanted to be a bull rider. And um, because bull riding is such a big, uh, it's a big part of the culture down from where I'm from. Yes, sir. That's the rite of passage. Like, when you're nope. 14, 15 years old, you know, you get in the, in the rodeo. And you get in front yep. of townsfolks, and you show your, your your manhood, your bravery, your, yep. your, you know that you're ready to take that next leap, so to speak. And uh, yep, you know, obviously, no, that's why I started doing it. You know, like it, it's within the society and the culture, exactly. Show that you got a pair, kind of thing, you yeah. know, and that you're tough enough to. And you know, I think a lot of that is is good in a sense, you know, because it's challenging. You're overcoming fear, you know, and you're you're working towards something, you know, that that's at the highest stakes, but I don't think it should be the only thing, you know, that, that defines, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to speak to, to the guys that defines a man, right? Like uh, to give a personal example is uh, a man I have the utmost and highest respect for is my father-in-law. I was very blessed with uh, uh, great in-laws, but he's never, you know, he, he's basically, he you could say he's kind of the uh, you know, antithesis of what I am, but you want to talk about a man that's uh, deep in his beliefs, resolved in them, takes care of his family, you know, there, and, uh, and uh, a guy I would want in my foxhole, so to speak, you know, even though he's not, and he's not like a big brawny, you know, guy, or even does any type of martial arts. He's an intellectual guy. And I have, I have the utmost respect for that because he, to me is a, a man that I, you know, that didn't walk the same path that I walked, you know? So, and it's like, it's like that he's awesome and he's never stepped on a bull, you know, or been like until Laura started dating me, shoot, you know, it, like I said, very, you know, metropolitan suburban yeah. kind of background. So. Yeah. No, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that, man. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, that's, that's the old way thinking. That's the old timers thinking, you know, that's just a different culture, different times, different culture. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Yep. But I wholeheartedly agree with you, man. I know, I know a lot of people that I hold in high regards that, uh, like you said, I would, I would love to have them in my foxhole if, if that ever came to be. And for different reasons, yes, sir. those are the reasons that, you know, they can go and do whatever, physically or other traits oh, you know yeah this guy this guy i mean he can add numbers in his head i'm talking about like percentages without getting into the story it just yeah, blows yeah. me away you know and that's the beauty of like america and what we're doing here is the diversity and yep. recognizing other people's talents and you know and what they have to offer it might not be the same thing and it's just like it amazes me never you know i, I don't have that kind of talent it's like holy like no wonder why your daughter's so smart you know like it's, it's genetic it's like this is why i get out thought all the time you know so absolutely absolutely i can well, beat him yeah. in a foot race but who cares you know yeah. like he can act he, so anyway. well he just goes to show you man he's smart his daughter's smart married you right pretty smart <laughs> yeah no i had to balance out my inadequate you know my whatever lacking what what i lack so 
it, yeah, it's like, I hope my kids, I hope my kids get my wife's looks and brains and just my last name, you know, that's all, that's all I wanted. And, and so far we're, we're doing catch. I married way out of my league, but that's enough. About that. So That's funny, man. Well, Mr. Royce, I think it's that time again to call it a day. Um, okay, sir. How can people get a hold of you? Do you have uh, a, like a, a phone number or do you want me to post? We can talk about that later. Is that a website or uh, maybe uh, just find you or? Yeah, Facebook. I do. Facebook's really good. You know, message me on Facebook. It's just Royce Goodman. And I think it's my ASHA uh, profile. And then uh, we can start, you know, uh, a conversation from there. Friend me or message me on Facebook. I, I really appreciate this. Um, uh, I, I only have one phone. I don't have like a business phone. And, uh, you know, and so, but, you know, the uh, reason I'm all, always kind of hesitant to hand out my phone number is because I'll have to field so many calls. I won't be able to get crap done. Yeah, I'm sure you, you know, you know how that is. So, yes, don't make um, that mistake. <laughs> right, right, is, is, you know, so. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, I'll, I will uh, put the link of your uh, Facebook on, on the uh, description on, on the podcast so people can take a look at that. Um, oh, I appreciate that, man. Just real quick, Thank what, you. Are some, what are some of the uh, training that you do? Do you offer training to people or is it just more like just courses or? No, no, I give I give lessons. You know, we call it we call it lessons. Uh, basic horsemanship, uh, you know, people just wanting to come and learn out learn how to ride or that are interested in it when all the way to the pro level on uh you know like if you want to go show and compete at you know the highest levels uh possible and you know we kind of do an eval from there and we start and you know basic stuff from saddling this is how you how you move and interact and brush and and whatnot with, with a horse all the way to you know hey let's let's go win some let's go win some cool stuff you know what i mean so yeah, no matter where you're at. I man, thank you. I wasn't expecting that. I, I really appreciate that, man. Yeah. Uh, so because like uh, who knows? I maybe uh coming into one of your classes and taking a lesson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love I love helping people out and getting people interested in this. You know, I'm I'm super passionate about it. I mean, shoot, yeah, we we've, we've been talking for about an hour. I didn't even realize that, you know, I can I can talk horses and jujitsu all freaking day long and not get anything done. So yeah, I'm the same way. So I know I just realized that too. My alarm went off, gave me a heads up. <laughs> oh crap. <laughs> but yeah, man. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again, man, for taking the time and, and uh, you know, talking to us about your profession and some of the, Oh, my pleasure. Some of the history tidbits. It's always a pleasure. Uh, like I said, I, I, I know you personally. I, I think you're a great person, man. And I, you know, if I never said that, I just want to let you know that. I think you're no, no, I echo all that. You didn't have to say it. I know, you know, and same here. Mutual so. respect, you know, what you do with your gym. Uh, the new gym is freaking fantastic, you know, and uh, I appreciate, like, you know, like we said, you know, uh, in different conversations. So uh, I'm really glad I took, when you had your sign out, and this, this sounds dumb, but literally I was like, that guy's got a bull. So there's a connection there, you know, uh, on your jujitsu. I was like, you know, trying to choose a gym. I was like, all right, I'm going there and we're going to find out. And I'm really glad I pulled in, you know, that one day. And it was just like, hey, he's throwing up a bull. I can I can at least talk to him about this bull, if nothing else, that he has for, yeah, his, sure. for his symbol. So <laughs> anyway. awesome. Well, again, man, thank you so much. And you have a good day, sir. You too. Have a good one.